0: Welcome in everybody to the Cutback Podcast, where we keep our head on a swivel to bring you our living room commentary on the latest and greatest from the world of sports and the business that surrounds it. I'm Ian Burley.
1: I'm Colin Munns, and we're off and running.
0: What's up, good sir? I uh, I see you're potentially in the final push here. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: We are in the we are in the final week here. In last week of games, uh, I've done this is they're all blurring together. The last month has been quite the blur. Um I'm sitting on game twenty seven in twenty-four days. Um uh, with a three double headers in there, so that's how you get that weird math, but uh it's been a roller coaster.
0: Does the Amarillo Summer Wood Bat League have a favorite? Do we have a clear champion or has it been a little bit of just messy baseball all around?
1: Uh well they both both have happened. Um there is definitely two tiers separating themselves that have separated themselves in the uh, 30 games, which, which goes to the point that we should shorten the season for major league baseball uh, because we've only played 30 games here. And we, I can already tell you like we're, the one division has a race going on. There's three teams fighting for two spots. The other division, it's signed, sealed, delivered. Two teams have pretty much locked it up in the final week and let's go home. Like we're, let's go to the playoffs. So uh, this 162 game bullshit, cut that now like that needs to go
0: yeah i'm uh i think we'll probably we'll hit on it here in a little bit but it's going to be interesting to see the implications that this 60 game season has on total baseball season length going forward depending on how all the kind of powers that be feel like the 60 game season was representative or non-representative of the uh, talent of the teams so let's go ahead and jump right into things this week we got a few work topics to talk about and then of course we'll have a few play topics because we do like to keep some semblance of a work-life balance here in the cutback podcast first in the work let's do a quick nfl update um the nfl was a little quieter this week than i expected it to be a lot actually seemed to happen but it was all done very quietly and not necessarily as much of a public shit show As major league baseball um, negotiations were you know like coming up on almost a month ago so two kind of main main things that i wanted to get your thoughts on first um one of the main wins for the players coming out of this was that there will be no preseason games for 2020 and and this was led by the players this is something that they asked for specifically i think it's something that players have been asking for kind of for a while to to get less preseason games if, if even having any at all do you think this could potentially be the end of preseason games in the NFL going forward?
1: I hope it is, but I think you're gonna. It's gonna be the end of the preseason and the beginning of an 18-game regular season schedule, is what I think you're. Because those owners are not gonna just hand over that money, that revenue, for nothing. I mean, they won't. They won't give away those two get two additional games of revenue.
0: Yeah, you bring up a great point and and that's something that we've heard from owners over the past year or so as owners have started to float this 18 game regular season players are kind of like, "Well, what the fuck?" and owners say, "Okay, well, we'll take away two preseason games so it's two preseason games, 18 regular season games." And you brought up another great point about the owners really are able to make um still a bulk of revenue compared to a regular season game. It, as an owner, a preseason game is much closer to a regular season game in terms of revenue. For a player, it's vastly different. Players make significantly less money for preseason games. So even these guys who you see having major big-time guaranteed contracts, their preseason game checks themselves are, are basically minimal minimal paychecks in, in the NFL scale. So players are looking at it as owners are able to make a much closer relative, like ratio of revenue as as a, as a regular season game, while the players make hardly anything.
1: The the only downside I see to getting rid of the preseason is I don't think coaches are given a proper evaluation, an evaluation um, method, I guess is the word, um, to see players in games because I, I mean. AI said it best, we're talking about practice. And now you've got to make cuts from, you know, 80 to 73 to now 53. You got to cut all these people without any games on the field to see, evaluate somebody. It's all practice or, you know, inter-squad scrimmages, which I think is a completely and totally different environment uh, where you could end up missing some guys that you probably shouldn't miss kind of deal.
0: Yeah. And I've heard a lot of, NFL guys talking about just that, about how there are some cons, and it's it's definitely going to be for the players at the bottom half of the roster because some of these preseason games are where they are able to make a team. And, you know, it's not just going to be their own team that they're originally signed to and those coaches being able to get film on them, but potentially even more so, it's, th- it's the fact that then they have that game film that all the other 31 teams in the league can look at and can say, okay, maybe this is a guy that we can plug in on our practice squad or as our 52nd or 53rd guy on the roster. So it's, again, it goes back to to last week, how we talked about with the NFL PA trying to please everybody. You can't, even in the NFL, you have guys with significantly different interests based on, you know, their status in the league and how much they make. And the preseason getting smaller is unfortunately one that's going to mostly benefit the kind of, the the standout and and steady players in the league and is going to have some downsides for guys who are are trying to break into the league and make a team for the first time
1: so right and i think you said it it's more the bottom half of players i i even think it's the bottom 10 percent. i mean i think i, I mean I, I just think it's we're really talking 52 53 spot on the roster we're not talking your backup safeties like those guys aren't really I don't think impacted too much it's more your third string your third string quarterback that competition usually you'd pick your third string quarterback based on the fourth preseason game I would tell you is where that happens those kind of decisions are happening
0: absolutely now one interesting thing and this got like literally almost very minimal coverage and and it's talking about the how they're how they're gonna work salaries and like and the whole COVID situation. So one of the main things that came out is the NFL is allowing for two different opt out options for players. Um, they basically have like the next couple days to decide if they want to opt out. If they are determined high risk, this means they have some pre existing condition that like the CDC and the World Health Organization considers like an elevated risk to COVID nineteen. Those players can opt out and be considered high risk by the NFL they get a $350,000 payment in lieu of their salary, and they get credit for a season played. Now on the flip side, you can voluntarily opt out, which means you don't fit the criteria for like an elevated risk from the disease. You get a $150,000 payout, but you do not get an accrued or credited season. And so far we've seen one player opt out. They fell into this voluntary category. Um, that's a Kansas city lineman, Laurent DuVernay Tardif, who opted out. He's a fucking doctor, literally a doctor. <laughs> and he, his, his words were, um, if I'm going to be putting myself at risk and putting those around me at risk, I'm going to do it on the front lines, uh, not in the trenches, essentially.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it, maybe we should listen to the doctors. Uh, it's just, the whole thing is just crazy to me, um, that, that we have to have an opt out clause for sports. there's an opt-out clause why are we even trying to do it I mean it's
0: and and you're categorizing players and and almost commoditizing them to say well we're only going to consider you and by proxy your family high risk if you check boxes x y and z even though we know that basically anybody can get it with this virus right Uh, are the statistics starting to show that some people are more likely. Yes, we, we are starting to see that over time. But in the grand scheme of things, we're, we're still very uh, in the early stages of of understanding this thing. So it's fair to say anybody can get it. Anybody can get these buckets from COVID-19.
1: Right. And and it's just the whole thing is we don't really know what's going on with this virus. And you have a doctor literally say, I'm not going to put my health on the line here. Um, And to me, it's just, and we're also towing a line with what counts as high risk versus not high risk when we don't really know what the disease does. So how are you really classifying people when you really don't even know what to classify them based on? It's just, it's a big old mess. um, And I think you're going to see a lot of arguments, a a lot, uh, you know, five to 10, arguments come out where a player is saying he's high risk and he's really not, or by in the legal argue, he's not and vice versa. Um, I think that opens a whole new can of worms, but I'm happy. There's an opt out clause uh, for guys who don't feel safe.
0: Yeah. And a shitty opt out clause is better than no opt out clause. It'll be interesting for the guys who are deemed high risk. Who makes that decision? Is it a team doctor who's on the team payroll? Does the NFL PA, somehow work it so that it can be a, a third party doctor or a player's primary care physician. Because listen, we've all heard the stories about team doctors are team doctors. They're paid by the team and they don't always, unfortunately, have the best interest of the player in mind because the player doesn't sign their fucking paycheck. So it, still a lot of very moving, a uh, lot of moving pieces here. Be interested to see kind of if more additional players opt out and how they are categorized by the league. Next, next work topic I want to touch on here, NCAA going to conference only football schedules in the like two percent chance that the NCAA NCAA plays football this fall. This reminded me of, you know, we talked about in one of our very first episodes about ugh, man, college football is about to get shook up. What's going to happen with the power five and the group of five? Now I'm starting to wonder if the group of five is is done. Is a group of five done? Is college football outside of the Power Five moving to be done? Because if this season goes off and conference teams realize they can play nine to ten conference games, they make a lot more money on those games than they do um, when they pay people to to come play from from a lower conference. Are they just going to start to schedule those you know nine to ten conference games every year and then throw in your two to three? Uh, non-conference games but have those be other power five matchups other marquee matchups that'll bring in higher television revenue uh what what are your thoughts here what's the group of five gonna do
1: i I don't think that that the power five will ever be able to just toss away the group of five conference because the power five needs them for those tune-up games and because I, i i really firmly believe and it's not it's not your top power of five teams that i'm talking here because and those they they do shell out the most money to those group of five schools i'm talking more your bottom tier of the power five conferences like the purdue's of the world um shout out purdue um, per not that 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 do still pay those group of five teams and pretty much use them just for a free win on the schedule um And that's what it is. So I don't think you're ever going to get rid of them entirely, uh, but it's definitely this year coming up where there is no cupcake games, no tune up games. You're definitely going to have an issue for the group of five. And I think you're going to start to see a UAB situation where we we lose some that where would they they do. Cut
0: football, Yeah. And a great example of, of what this means financially for group of five teams is uh, I was reading an article this week talked about Louisiana Monroe, who is in the Sunbelt, I believe, a, a decent group of five school like they've they've had success in football um, off and on. This article looked at their 2018 football revenue, 40% of their entire revenue for the year for football came from the two uh, non-conference games that they played that they went and got paid for. So they went and played Texas A&M. They went and played Old Miss. Those two games, the payouts they got for going and playing those two games and getting smacked around accounted for 40% of their football revenue. And then we already know that football revenue is is the bulk of your athletic department revenue. So you're talking about two football games counting for, what, 25, 30, maybe, maybe the full 40% of your entire athletic department revenue. So if those games go away even just for this year, that's a lot of revenue that that a lot of these schools I don't think will be able to recover from.
1: Right, and and it goes to what everybody else is in. We're not we went from, you know, we're in that survival mode and it's going to turn into how many of these athletic departments are able to just take on this 40% loss and keep go and keep on chugging along. And there's going to be some in the Group of 5 that can do it. Um that survive and i just there's going to be others that won't make it
0: yeah you're absolutely right now you said um you said chugging along just trying to survive you know those are those are a couple words that and phrases that get used to describe working in sports in general now now you've been down in amarillo here for almost almost a month and as you said you've you've helped facilitate 27 games over the past 24 months or 24 days, excuse me. Let's, let's talk a little bit about just what it is like to actually work in sports, what that grind is like. You and I have both been fortunate enough to work kind of on the the team side of the team, as well as the business side of, of a team. So we've gotten to see a lot of different uh, angles of, of the production happening. Tell us, tell us what it's like down in Amarillo and and what your day to day is like and and what the grind is like.
1: Well, first and foremost, I think yes, we've been on both sides of uh, both the team side and the the business side, and there are, you know, some differences, but there are some very there's a vast a larger number, if you will, of of similarities I think in the in working on both sides. Um, you know, obviously just what you're doing is different, but the hours, the, the culture, all of that is still the same. I think, um, as far as being here in Amarillo, it's literally, um, I love it. You have to love this stuff, but it's unlike any other industry in the world. And I know we've kind of said all this in episode one and a lot of people couldn't really hear us. And, but, 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 like, there's no industry in the world like this. I'm now on game. This is game 28. I misspoke earlier. I'm on game 28. I went back to my calendar and counted them all. We're on game 28 today. Um, and I've worked 12-hour days, six days a week for all 28 days in a row. And, and so, and that's like, name another industry. I mean, aside from being a frontline healthcare worker in the middle of a global pandemic now, but, like, name another industry where, where you're working 12-hour days in one job six six days a week. I mean, you're pumping out 70 hours week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out for an entire season.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only one that just popped my head was um, investment banking. You hear these, like, horror stories from kids who graduate from business schools and go right into, like, a big investment bank in, in New York City and spend more time at the office than they do anywhere else but I, i even don't know if that's very comparable and you're absolutely right the the hours are similar across both if you're working um within like the building for a team so like when when you and i across the both of us worked in video or worked in ops or or worked as like a coaching ga or as you're working on the business side which which we've both done with uh you know finance and accounting and and helping run cash for the emeralds and and now you working on the food and bev side for Amarillo and and Peoria it's it's an amount of hours that if you don't have a passion for what you're doing if you don't enjoy being there and even doing the tasks that you're having to do it's going to be miserable you might think you like sports and that that's the type of environment that you want to work in. And then you're on your fifth or sixth day of 12 to 14 to 16 hour days, not getting paid a lot. That's just kind of the way that it is right now. And you have to wonder, is this what I want my life to revolve around? Because I think sports and working in sports is one of those industries where your life does revolve around your job. And for those of us who sports are kind of our life and it's what we love, it's perfect because it, it doesn't feel like work because you're, you're getting to be in an environment that, that you love and that you thrive off of. But if, I mean, it tests, it tests what you think your love and passion for something is very quickly, very, very quickly.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's a, you are dedicating yourself to it uh, and you have to. And, and I guess I, I want to tell a story just because this is what triggered me this while I was here in Amarillo, just um, there's a, a gentleman who shall remain nameless who works, in this organization, um, who pretty much is just, he's like quitting, uh, and, and is not going to make, didn't want, doesn't want to do it anymore. And which more power to him, do what makes you happy, you know, which sports make me happy. And that's why, you know, I do the hours, do all the hard work in the Texas heat. Like it doesn't bother me. I love it. Um, he, he said that, you know, it's too much. He can't do it, which happens, but he made the comment that it's it's a whole toxic sports environment. Like it's sport, the industry in itself in and of itself is toxic and nobody can do it, which I, I blame part, partly blame myself because I understand and see a lot of the issues in sports where they're not cultivating the best talent in for their organizations. They're, they're kind of wearing people down and, you know, pushing them out. And I, whereas in an industry that has such high demand and a high supply of talented people that can work. um, I think they should be handled better. But that being said, I've served my time. You've served your time. And like, I am sitting here saying all these things and I'm now finding myself being a hypocrite on the guy who's quitting because it's a toxic thing. I'm like, man, shut up. I'm doing it. Like everybody's tired. Like everybody's worn out. Like it's not just you. Like, I don't understand, you know, and, and back, you know, in my younger years of being in the sports industry, it was like, I was that guy. It was like, I'm working just as hard as everybody. And I'm just as talented as everybody. Why? And like, and you know, this isn't worth it essentially. And it, so, My, I, my thing I'm clinging to is the only one who the King is the only one who can rebuild the castle. And so you have to serve your time, get to the top. And those who do make it to the top, this is my call. If you're listening, like we gotta, we gotta all have a heart to heart. Like we, there is some room for growth and how to reorganize how sports work and, and, and how the industry works. And I think we talked about it a lot last week, um, with women in sports, the culture that, you know diversity, all of those things can be improved. Um, the efficiency and talent retention, all of those things can be vastly improved in sports. And on both sides, team side and business side can take huge leaps in those areas.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. I think you brought up a couple things that I want to touch on before we transition here quickly. First, there are just a lot of misconceptions about working in sports as well. Um, people on the outside, especially if you're working for a team in any capacity, uh, why I, whether you're in the building kind of on the team side of it or, or in the front office on the business side of the team, people see that and you're like, Oh man, your job's got to be awesome. Like you, you just get to work for a team and get all this gear and do all this stuff and, and be around. And if the team wins, you get stuff and you know, everybody just sees kind of the, um, and it is awesome.
1: That is yeah. awesome. That it, that is a hundred percent awesome. Don't even don't even sugarcoat that. It is awesome. That part is a million percent awesome.
0: Yeah, and it's. I think you and I have both talked about it. It's like what draws us to sports. Well, in no one in no other industry, in my opinion, even when you're on the business side of sports, can you feel as close to actual winning and losing as you can working in sports and and the the feeling and the euphoria of winning and even the the gut-wrenching pain of losing that those both drive me personally more than anything else so I'd rather be in something where I can feel the highs and the lows versus being in something where it's like always just kind of kind of even keel so you're absolutely right the 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 awesome parts of sports are incredibly awesome but we can't allow ourselves or allow uh, people to think that that's it, that that's just what it is that it's just coffee and roses there's a lot of work from everybody involved that goes into that um, one story i like to tell people and because i've gotten kind of permission to tell it from from my buddy uh jackson good friend he oh, lived yeah go. <laughs> yeah you you know old jackie boy so um jackson and, and a group of our friends lived together for like three years at michigan and to begin with myself and one of our friends ray We're working for video. And so for the first two years that we lived together, our roommates kind of saw me and Ray always going to the building, getting food, getting a bunch of gear and clothes and being around the guys and getting to travel with the team, blah, blah, blah. It, It looks like a dope job. Now they realized that we were also gone a lot and like, you know, putting in a lot of hours and, and even school and other things were coming second to, to being at football and doing what the football team needed. But overall it seemed like, oh, this is probably not too bad for our final year um, video team had an opening we were able to bring jackson in and i remember the first week of summer camp jackson was (laughs) talking to us he's like i'm loving this but this is way more difficult and way more stressful than i could have ever imagined and so i thought that that summed it up well this is somebody who i mean jackson played all three sports growing up like very very into sports and and kind of understands that side of things And he was still blown away by what it actually took to, to get the job done. And that was just even as student videographer. So there is a misconception, but then you talked about how, you know, how can we start to change the culture? How can we start to make it where, you know, you still have to put in a lot of work, but, but maybe it's not as toxic of an environment and you are right where it's going to happen from the top down leaders have to kind of drive that boat and, and set the culture. But I also think us as newer um, hires in the sports industry and people who are kind of in middle management, you can kind of begin to set that culture yourselves and you can begin to treat people in a way that will make you a good candidate to be a leader. And people will will trust that you can put in place a less toxic culture if you are made a leader. So I think that there are strides that we can all take to kind of police ourselves and to be kind to each other and to support each other versus being like cutthroat with each other within the same building Um, that will then also help it help make it easier for leaders or or the king or the queen of the castle to to kind of rebuild the castle. And this is a a great transition um, to a conversation that I had earlier this week With Chloe Colligan. Chloe is a student at the University of Oregon. She works. um, She's worked for the University of Oregon athletic department ticket department. She worked an internship uh, recently with the Washington football team established 1932 36 I already forget what year it was established. Um, so she's been up close and personal to being a woman in sports, being a young person in sports and ha- and being somebody who's just gotten their kind of first exposure. So I wanted to sit down and talk, talk with her. Thanks to producer Kennedy um, about what it what her experiences have been like, especially on the heels of the the article that came out about the Washington football team and their kind of toxic, um, misogyny culture and ask her just what her experiences have been like. What does she think? Um, about the about the sports industry and how we can become more diverse, uh, more inclusive, and more supportive. So we're going to kick off our play uh, topics this week with my interview with Chloe Colligan. All right, everybody, welcome back. I have with me today, thanks to producer Kennedy and her her uh, lexicon or, of of connections, one of our very first pop in interviews on the show, and it is with Chloe Colligan. So, Chloe, can you first maybe introduce yourself, um, let us know who you are, and uh, what got you to where you are today?
2: Uh, Yeah, so I'm Chloe. Um, I'm from right outside Washington, D.C., so Washington sports through and through, Um, but I've always been interested in business and sports, and there's no better place to go than the University of Oregon to get that um, experience and that degree. Um, I'm actually going to major in PR and then minor in sports business. Um, honestly, just because it's faster and school's not cheap. (laughs) Um, But I have worked with the University of Oregon in the ticket office. Um, I also do an internship with IMGL with the University of Oregon, and that's more of the sponsorships. Um, So we're pretty, I'm pretty busy during football season. (laughs) Um, And then uh, this past year, I did my internship with, I guess, the Washington NFL team is what they're being called now, or the Washington football team. Um, yep. That ended right before um, COVID hit, so I, I got to like do my internship, which is really awesome. I'm actually supposed to be interning for the Nationals right now, so a little sad, but it's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the Nats are actually playing as we... As we record this, so I feel like it's on me to kind of get you in and out of here so that you can get back to the game. I feel like I'm taking you away from your <laughs> squad. First game back after a World Series championship—like terrible timing on my part.
2: Oh my gosh, no, it's totally fine. My my boyfriend was asleep on the remote, and I was like, "Get up! The Nationals are playing." He's like, "I'm not on the remote." I'm like, "Yes, you are." <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I uh before we kind of get into your experiences with your internship with the yeah the now Washington football team established 1930 something whatever year it was <laughs> um didn't know that you, that you were doing a PR major so that's in the J school at Oregon correct Yes yes it is I uh as par- as part of my MBA program at Oregon, we were able to, to have the opportunity to take a couple classes outside of the of the business school. and a bunch of us took uh, a handful of classes in the J school with uh, Swangard and Kelly Matthews. And mm-hmm. have you been able to take classes with those? We like our group loved Kelly. like to this day, follow her on Twitter and like liking each other's stuff, it's the best. She's one of the greatest.
2: So I have not had the um, opportunity to meet Kelly Matthews, but every time I go into a class and I like meet my professors or like, you have to meet Kelly Matthews. Like she sounds like the person for you. And like, I know she works in PR sports and everything. So she's on my, like, my top of my list to get to know once, you know, I get to go back to school. <laughs>
0: Yeah, what what does what is Oregon looking at in terms of classes in the fall? Have they communicated with you guys? I mean, Oregon's on the quarter system, so they start kind of later than a mm-hmm. lot of universities around the around the country. But have they kind of sent plans to the student body in terms of what classes will look like in the fall?
2: To um, so begin, email every single day of some sort of update um it's usually like the same thing just like copied and pasted with some numbers um turned around um but it looks like we're trying to do like some sort of hybrid model where you know some classes get to meet in person um as long as they could be like socially distanced but like you know massive like lecture halls are obviously not going to meet in person they'll probably stay online um unfortunately i don't think that's even going to happen i feel like really online especially during the fall with like flu season we've already gotten used to it like just do it one more term you know like I know it no one wants it but like I want to like go back to working in sports you know so I would like (laughs) this to be shut down before I graduate (laughs) you know
0: (laughs) yeah no kidding yeah as people who are currently attempting to make a living in sports or, or want to make a living coming out of school in sports it's it's an interesting time for everybody it, it's been super mm-hmm. interesting even being in the industry and being on furlough for a while and, and then recently coming back so it's it's definitely <laughs> it, it's it changes every day kind of probably like those Oregon emails yeah. like it's you hear something different every day even different sports are different Um, But one of the main reasons that we wanted to talk to you today, and and we kind of teased it a little bit um, last episode, is we all read the article that came out uh, last week about kind of the culture and uh, sexual harassment and and just general almost uh, maybe misogyny towards women that was taking place in specifically in uh, the the front office of the Washington football team. And as you mentioned, you just kind of completed an internship there. So first would love to just kind of hear about what you were doing with the team and kind of get your reaction on that article coming out. Was that something that was surprising to you? Was that something that you experienced yourself? Um, Just kind of as somebody who was in that building not too long ago, what was it like seeing that article come out?
2: I have to say I like was not surprised about the article. Um, I did not experience any sort of sexual harassment at all. Um, but I will say that you know the Reds sorry, the NFL team in Washington are very um, very unique in the way that they're like set up because they're not in Washington. Like they're in Maryland. like that's where FedEx Stadium is in, and um only like a couple of offices work out of there, so I worked out of there. Um, I was a sales and service intern. Um, I did some of the marketing, um, intern responsibilities cause they left halfway through. They got like, I think they got a position, um, somewhere else. So I, I juggled a lot of different things. Um, and then FedEx or it's called Redskins Park. Um, that's in Ashburn, Virginia. So like, they literally are never in Washington, <laughs> um, and that's like a practice of- facility. Yeah, so that's a practice facility, that's where like Dan Snyder is, that's where all the executive offices really are. Um, So I'm sure if I was in that building, um, I would have had a a different experience. Um, Didn't have a great experience, just, you know, being a female intern, I feel like not too many people get to have a great experience in sports that way. Um, But I, I was definitely in like a better building than I could have been in for sure.
0: Right. Yeah, and you bring up a really interesting point where, I mean, I I always have to kind of say these things with a grain of salt because not only am I a male, but I'm a white male. And even Mm -hmm. for myself, having internships and working in sports is a much different environment than working in really any other industry in, in corporate America. So can you maybe talk about what your experiences have been you know, across multiple different instances in sports and how you've maybe seen those or your experiences be different than those of um, your male counterparts and and peers, even at the internship level.
2: So I'll say I have had a great experience at the University of Oregon, Um, especially in the ticket office, like that's like kind of where I work the most. Um, My boss, Jeff Stewart, is the greatest human being, you know, like he makes sure like every voice is heard on our staff and like you know most of us don't even like want to get in the sports we just want a job you know like to get us through college and like he still listens to those people's voices like he truly believes that anyone has like a unique perspective that needs to be heard so just like coming from that aspect and then going into this um culture at you know Washington it just was quite like a slap of the face I was like oh okay the whole world doesn't work like this. Um, and I don't know, I think like the worst part was just like constantly being called like the girl intern by some people. And like my male counterpart, like I don't want to like brag on him, but like he didn't do much, you know, like he was there Mondays and Wednesday evenings and then Fridays all day. And I was there Monday through Friday, nine to five, like I, I was there I was doing things, you know, like I knew how to work C R M. Um, I could log into Artec, and he couldn't even figure out how to do that. But he was like always referred to by name. I was like, I have a name, and like the very unique job of assigning these salespeople like leads. And like I'm literally handing you money. Like that's my job to do. And like I might get in trouble for saying this, but like the one who called me the girl intern the most never got a single lead from me. Like. <laughs> I was like, if you're not gonna respect me, like I'm not gonna respect you. So, I I signed leads people who treated me nicely, and you know, so be it.
0: Right. Well, and I think that that's even it. It's an opportunity for you to kind of bring some semblance of like power back to the situation, right? Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's you brought up something where I think everybody is aware that in the U S really there's, there's this pay gap issue, right. Where I think, I think recently it's like women make like 73 cents on the dollar per average compared to their male counterparts in a, in a similar role. And of course that gets kind of exemplified in sports more so than others, because sports is kind of seen as like the old boys club. And there's a lot of negative uh, behaviors that come from that, but but i think you brought up an extra level of that that not everybody understands where even within the building like you mentioned female employees are kind of expected to do more for less and male employees have an easier time getting away with um just kind of skating by or or doing enough to get by without it going the extra mile and yet you still see men being promoted or getting the pay raises really on the backs of work being done by their peers, which can be primarily female. So mm-hmm. how, how can like a leader, some, somebody who's in a leadership position, how, how do you think that we can start to turn this around? Where does it start?
2: Yeah. Um, you guys talked about it a little bit last week, um, kind of like policing yourselves, like a huge issue I had with this um article coming out and then one like the lack of response from the team itself and then really the only response I got was from Ron Rivera and I think he's a great guy but his response really bothered me it was like asking women to do more to not be sexually harassed and it was just like like he never said like this is not okay and it will not be allowed here anymore it was like we have policies like What are those policies? It was a very vague thing. And like, our doors are open. It's like, well, if I go into the wrong door and I complain about somebody, like that could be the end of me in sports. Like sports seems like a very small world. Like everyone kind of knows each other. Like that, you know, it puts me in a position where like, I don't know what to do, but like, you know, like if another man like stands in for me, like that gives me like a little bit more power and like a little bit more like encouragement that like that wasn't okay for them to say. And just things like that. And then another thing that really bothered me was like, every time like, someone tries to, like, address, like sexual harassment, they always have to say, like, I have a daughter. It's like, Mm -hmm. why does it take a man having a daughter to respect women, you know, like, every single woman is someone's daughter. And just like, why does it take you so long? Like, you're an adult by the time you have a daughter. And, like, you're just now realizing, like, you're just now having to learn that, like, you need to respect, like, half the population.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's almost even this, like, weird protective measure that people try and use. It it mm-hmm. Like, if, if they say, oh, I have a daughter or I have a wife, that it's like, oh, well, then they really can't be that bad. Or there's no way that they could treat people incorrectly yeah. because they wouldn't want their daughter to be treated that way or their wife to be treated that way when mm-hmm. – realistically we know that that's not true like people even even people with families like they treat people in the office much different Mm -hmm. you brought up you brought up something quickly that i had a question about where you brought up ron rivera and and what he talked about and i know he's also talked about you know he's like my daughter's gonna work for the team like i want this to be an open environment and i've even heard some like talking heads kind of talk about how You know, now Ron Rivera's in there. He's a stand-up guy. He'll, he'll set the culture straight. My thought is like, well, he might set the culture straight on the football side of things, but in my opinion, he doesn't have any control over the culture in the business side of things, people in ticket sales, people in marketing, would you agree with that? Do do you think in, in a football building in terms of the business side, which is where the bulk of employees are? Mm-hmm. where is that culture being set from?
2: I mean, it really gets set from like the top down. Like if you have a shady owner, like you, you have a shady team and you know, like it's interesting you just brought that up. Like he stays on the football side. Like it, it seems like he was going to kind of have some input with this name change and like this whole like rebranding that like his team so desperately needs. And I was so excited for, until this Washington Post, article came out and I was like oh never mind <laughs> um <laughs> but they just Dan Snyder just hired one of his buddies uh Harry Bateman and you know like he was brought in the last time there was a culture issue you know back in 2006 I think and obviously he didn't do his job like obviously he didn't do something right because like we're back at this issue again and I just you know like we, we have a person of color like heading our football team on the football side. Like I just, we don't have a person of color really on the operation side, you know? And it's the area that Landover Maryland is in is, it's a pretty black area, honestly. Um, and there's a, a lot of my coworkers or superiors were, were black and it was a very diverse environment. And, you know, that's where I grew up. So it was like a very homey feeling. But then to see, like, every single executive be, like, an old white man, I'm like, you're not even, resep- like, re- representing the area that your stadium is in well, you know? Like, just, like, it makes me sad, and it's, just, like, it's just another white man coming in and, you know, pretending, like, he has a clue on what's going on in culture and, like, how to set a culture when he's already proven he doesn't.
0: Yeah, and you, you seem to see these things happen where somebody gets brought in or somebody at the top says they're going to make changes but when you're in the actual building you notice that they're not bringing many voices to the table to help them make those decisions and then that allows the culture to just perpetuate and continue on and continue on it is a weird thing where it's i've been in similar situations that it sounds like you're describing in washington where if you talk about like middle management on down you have a lot of great people with a lot of diverse backgrounds and, and skill sets and opinions and, and everybody kind of within that realm treats each other correctly and appropriately. But then once you get in the, the couple echelons of, of the ladder above that, things seem to completely go to shit. Is that kind of what you've experienced as, as well?
2: Yeah. So, um, So I worked in sales and service and, you know, like the sales team is, predominantly men. Um, There was a couple women. And then the service team is, you know, it's retention of season ticket holders, if that wording isn't used very often. Um, But they are predominantly women, you know, there was, there was two men on that side of the room. And I can't say nice enough things about the two men that sat on that side of the room, because they were kind. And I think that, like, that side of the room also had a harder job, like, I mean, who has a harder time as a, like a fan base than like right. this Washington football team? Like we are just dragged through the dirt every single year. And like these season ticket holders are spending loads and loads and loads of money on tickets. They don't need to be spending money on. Like you go up to FedEx stadium the day of the game, they're $18. Yeah. Why are you spending $1,500 plus on your season tickets? You know, it's, it's a horrible stadium. It's like falling apart. It's like not a great area. Like, it's just, I couldn't imagine being on the service team and like having to take care of them and then like to be treated poorly from like the sales team too, which is, you know, predominantly men. Um, Those are the only two teams I really got to like work with. Um, But the management was nice. You know, they were kind. One of them was a female, one of them was a male, Um, respectively, male service, female or female service, male sales. but yeah, like once you leave that level, it's just sea of white people, you know.
0: Who have all been there for a long time because people get into these jobs and mm-hmm. they don't want to leave. And we've shown that it's it's an industry where people kind of look out for each other, whether they should or not. So unless yeah. somebody does something incredibly stupid or becomes like the fall guy for somebody above them doing something stupid, they're pretty much locked into those roles.
2: Yeah, for sure. They become like a face of the that section and that you can't get rid of a face you know
0: well and then it that allows this whole talk of like oh it's just so and so oh it's that's just the way that they are like it allows that to permeate throughout Mm -hmm. the culture because they've been there so long it's like oh yeah he's he's just very uh kind you know if somebody's like tapping you on the shoulder maybe comes up to your desk and puts their hand on your shoulder oh he's just you know that's just the way he is he's very friendly it's like there's always these excuses being made because they've just been there so long and they seem untouchable
2: yeah and it just it makes people who come in as like interns like think that's normal you know like if i hadn't worked at the ducks i would have been like oh this is a normal environment to be at like i need to be in service i don't need to go to sales You know and it's just like you know being at the ducks like i can't say enough nice things about the ducks and how they treat women in sport like i just can't and they're a powerhouse they've shown that it's possible to do it and still be a powerhouse so i don't see why other teams don't do it
0: yeah i was so i got to work with the athletic department in in a in a role as well and many of my my colleagues were women and, and even I was I was in the football building and there, the amount of women in the football building was very refreshing to see and and to also get to see that they were at least from from my vantage point were were treated with respect and given a lot of responsibility and power um, was was really cool to see because that is unfortunately few and far between especially when it comes to football like take the sports industry and everything bad about the sports industry and times it by 10 and and that's like how much it kind of gets (laughs) gets gets worked into football you said something interesting about the difference between sales and service noticing that males were usually pushed into one side females into another side do you do you feel like in the sports industry they have this this thing where it's like okay we need to get more women involved but at the same time, they've kind of pick and chose which roles to get women involved in. And is that something that you've seen up close and personal as well?
2: Um, I don't think I've seen it like up close and personal besides the sales and service um, kind of divide really. I mean, you, you look and you notice it's two different departments working on the same floor. Um, but the Redskins just hired Julie Donaldson, I believe. Um, and it's the highest position a female holds, but it's in media and it's, media is a hard job, but like Shilly's going to be seen a lot. So it's just like kind of an interesting hire. In my opinion, like she's, she's going to be looked at, you know, like she's, it's a very, um, visible position and, you know, like. I don't want to say it was a smart move by the team because now they'd be like, "Well, we have this woman; she's on TV all the time." But like, you could put women in other places too. Like, you don't need a female reporter all the time. Like, female can be leading like sales and service. Like, I don't need a male VP showing me how to sell a ticket. You know, like it's a pretty one and done kind of situation. It's it's not hard, you know. Right. Right. Um, So I just thought that was an interesting hire
0: yeah because it's it's like like you mentioned it's like media is something where now even in the sports world it's still lagging in in terms of like the ratio between men and women but for years now we've seen more and more women on the media side of sports so it's not that shocking for people And, and you even think about you even think about in just corporate america across a lot of industries you you can look at big big time companies and Where are you going to find their like highest ranking female employee? Probably HR. Mm -hmm. So it's like, to to me, as I sit here as somebody who's like also kind of just starting in sports and has had a couple different experiences, it's like, how can we, how how can we turn this around and make it so, whether it's women, people of color, any any non-white male, essentially has the opportunity to really flourish in whatever role they choose versus like, let's kind of pigeonhole them in the roles that we've determined are okay for them to succeed.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I really don't have like a great answer for that. Like it seems like a very complex issue and it's going to take like a lot of people like committing to a change and, you know, like there's this whole concept of like white fragility and, you know, like I've been experiencing it, you know, um, like you don't want to like offend somebody because like, I'm sure there are like, you know, like you, like there's plenty of white men out there who are good people and like can do their jobs. And there's going to be some that are going to go out the door, like kicking and screaming because they see someone as like a token hire that like, you know, checks the box kind of thing. And it's just really, I think the generation that's coming into sports right now is going to make a lot of changes. Um, I hate to say like the older generation just like doesn't get it but i i don't think they do like i mean half the fan base yeah half the population of america is 51 percent, you know female but you have like three women like how are you going to sell a ticket to a female if you're one not going to respect them enough to hire them and then two like not even understand their point of view because there's none of them in the office you know
0: yeah yeah i th- i think I completely agree with you. Number one, I think that, um, the generation that is kind of in their first handful of years in the workforce as well as definitely the generation that's kind of in school and, or in college and and coming up through school now is, is going to put us in a much better place on, on a lot of fronts in like the workforce. One thing that I think has been a huge help to that is even just these school programs. Um, I, tr- I try and think back and you think about like the people who are in these leadership positions now, when they were in school, to begin with, not as many women went to to college to begin with, for mm-hmm. a, a, a myriad of different reasons that, that we could get into and be here all day. Um, yeah. But then, especially if you talk about like a sports business program, very few women are going to, we're going to be in those types of programs. So these, these, guys are going through their entire lives basically only working with other white men, right? And now, yeah. I, I mean, I would from what I saw at Oregon, my time at Michigan, even uh, like five, six years ago, the amount of diversity from both a people of color and different races, ethnicities, excuse me, botched that one completely, um, as well as women, even in sport business programs, is just increasing exponentially. So now as a student, you're working with people that are significantly different than from you all the time. So when you get into the workplace, it's just much more of a natural thing. And hopefully that means that we can all kind of like respect each other and, and kind of base each other off of character and skills and ability versus some, some demographic that you check off on like a scantron test.
2: Yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot more sports business programs for sure. Um, there's a lot of women at the University of Oregon right now, um, going through sports business or kind of doing what I'm doing, at least minoring in sports business, because like this is our school is just known for athletics. Um, so it's pretty exciting to like kind of like have like a huge clad of like women who are like, we're gonna make it in the sports world, like we're not gonna care. We also have professors that are preparing us to have to do that and like giving us the best set of knowledge. Um, to prove that we're the best for the job you know like it's like we're looked at like two or three times before they're like eh like does she really know what she's doing like does she really know what arctics is kind of thing and it's just like I can't like the guy who interviewed me he's a great manager he really was but he he asked some very like particular questions that made me like question like is he like shocked that I know how to do this like It's just kind of a strange thing. And like, you know, like a resume, like our names are on it. Like you can tell I'm a female, like right off the bat. And, you know, a huge thing right now that we're being taught is to put our photos on a resume to like be seen as like a human being. Like, it's very obvious that I'm a female. And it's one of those things that I have to like almost be more annoying about. Like I have to like check up on my resume more often than I'd like to think a guy does because like you know like guys are like oh i like sports i'm gonna go work at sports you know and they could they could get away with that but like i say like i like sports i want to go work at sports They're like well where's your degree and i'm like yeah okay i got it <laughs> you right. don't need to ask me that
0: <laughs> right because a guy can go into an interview and just kind of like bro out not even yeah. talk about anything work related and just be like oh mm-hmm. i like this kid like he'll figure it out sure he can yeah. a job.
2: i don't think i've yeah. ever been emailed. Or interviewed by a female ever in sports. Wow, wow. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's something, and and you see it really in all aspects of the sports industry. But I think you're absolutely right. I think the amount of women in um, college programs who are are dedicated to going into sports just continues to grow. Um, a lot of places like Oregon have great uh, women professors who have like walked walked the road before, and I think are are really helping prepare people do you feel like because it's this weird thing with sports as well where it's like so many people want to get into sports right the line is out the door so people Mm -hmm. people make um like concessions in what they allow themselves to go through whether it's like how much or how little you get paid how many hours you work maybe other things that you have to deal with do you feel like you now are in a position where you're interviewing teams or agencies or brands just as much as they're interviewing you because you want to make sure it's the right fit for you and it's it's maybe not the end all be all as it has been for a lot of people in the past.
2: Um I think I'm like right on that line of being able to like interview back. Um, you know, like I, I now have the NFL on my resume and I've worked with, you know, the University of Oregon. Like I was surprised at how much, you know, the East Coast um, responded to that when I've been to um career fairs there they were like oh go ducks I'm like oh thank you yes go ducks (laughs) um but you know like I still am a female and I still do have to kind of like walk that line but I've I've been a feminist since I was too young to know what a feminist was (laughs) um but like I'm not gonna work for someone who doesn't respect me and if I can feel that in an interview then you know like I'd rather go do my time somewhere else you know and that's kind of what happened at the Washington NFL team you know like I I got to the end they're like if you want a job after school you can have it and I was like cool thank you and then you know I just kind of left and I I don't see myself taking it you know it's just not something I want to put my time and effort into and I I'm hoping that I'm going to be in a position where I can take the team that's going to respect me the most and um, like my skills are going to be seen for what they are and I'm not going to be seen as like the token hire or that oh she's a female she can't do these things and you know like sometimes it's easier to sell a ticket to a man when you're a female because they, they kind of feel bad for you. you know. Like, and if you want to play that card with me, that's fine. I'll gladly take your money. But right.
0: <laughs> listen, we have, have simple brains. <laughs> we're, we're, we're easy to sell to. It's like you got to you gotta check like two boxes. Like uh, we're going to have football and there's going to be beer there. Are you interested? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> cool no,
2: thanks with your card. <laughs> I
0: I think that's really powerful though that not not just people in the workforce but women especially are becoming more comfortable understanding their worth and, and doing that interview back process and I th- and I think it's going to be very important especially in sports because as a workforce both male and female you know the labor forces who can kind of uh demand that companies in, in the sports industry, whether it's teams or brands, whatever. We we can demand that they treat people better. And and you start by doing that by asking the, the right questions in an interview process and like really hitting home on the type of culture that you're looking for, because now if, if I'm in a hiring role and every single person that I talk to kind of tells the same story about what they're looking for, the culture that they're looking for. Now I'm saying, well, shit, I, to attract the best talent, we better have are kind of P's and Q's in order. Because if we don't, we're going to get the shitty talent and we're just going to kind of continue as we are. And nobody wants to do that. So I think that that's awesome that already at a young age and early in your career, you feel comfortable doing that. And it's something that I've still struggled in being comfortable with. So I would say just continue to harp at home. And literally, there's there's never too many questions that you can ask in an interview. Um, getting into maybe something a, a little more light there, there have been some just awesome strides so far in, in women in sports, even in just the past couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of really, really cool things happen with the NWSL, uh, expansion team in LA, which is led by like a superstar list of owners, including yes, Serena Williams, wild. like two year old kid. Like that's an <laughs> ultimate flex. Like <laughs> already. <I love> <laughs> so ha- has there been, you know a handful or, or one hiring or or thing that's happened that kind of gives you hope and is it kind of signals like okay things are starting to maybe turn around or we're at least taking the first baby step in the right direction
2: yeah i don't think there's like i mean the nwsl that one is massive like that sent a huge message i think um to everyone in sports you know like women can own a team and they're gonna run it right kind of thing Um, But there have been a lot of, like, female hires, like, in the NFL, Major League Baseball. The Giants just had one, you know? Like, it's starting to happen, and you're seeing um, women coaches kind of becoming more outspoken. Um, Like, Dawn Stanley is, like, my favorite example. Um, She's the South Carolina women's basketball head coach. She's very, very outspoken, you know, as a an Escu fan, you know, like, I was like, come on, Dawn, like, don't get <laughs> on my ducks. <laughs> but she, she really, like, puts her team on a pedestal, and she's putting women on a pedestal, and she's demanding attention for her women's team. And I think things like that are important. And you're seeing, you know, more women coaching women's sports, which I think is important, because you know, you, you see this whenever, like, a female coach gets hired. Oh, what are her credentials? Why is she coaching baseball? She's a woman. So it's like, Kelly Grace didn't get that question when he started coaching a women's basketball team, you know? Like, everyone was like, cool, great, love that. And, like, no one questioned his credentials to coach a woman's basketball team. because It is a different sport, you know? Like, it's a totally different game plan. But I think just seeing women kind of realizing that they can be outspoken and like if i hope i'm allowed to cause like if a man wants to call me a bitch like so be it like bitches get shit done and like <laughs> that's fine like you're now paying attention to me like you're giving me attention on a, a national level like i'll take it
0: yeah well uh it's it's a quote that i always see on like it's almost like a like a pinterest or instagram quote where it's like um <laughs> a, a well-behaved female never got anything done essentially or like didn't be yeah like and i mean you're absolutely right and it's 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 just this terrible double standard where a male acting in that same way would not only be tolerated but would be applauded right They'd be mm-hmm. like, oh he's a he's a killer he's like he he's a, a tough negotiator he's a shark he gets things done and like you said yeah then women get called things that I, i'm not gonna say but you can surely yeah. say on our <laughs> podcast because we let it all fly but um yeah and, and I think the coaching thing is huge too because I think that that just continues to show young girls that I can be whatever I want in this sports industry and and not only with like Kelly in basketball but look at all the males that coach softball like we've literally mm-hmm. never played softball maybe slow pitch beer league softball but not <laughs> fat, I mean it, which is not softball. I mean it's softball because you use a softball I guess but It's not like fast pitch softball that people play growing up. So it is, it's this weird double standard, but you're absolutely right. I I think that's one place where it can really start where it's like, now you have these women who are coaching their sports, they're empowering their own athletes to then go out into the world. Um, It it is really cool to see. I, I maybe have one, one final question that I'm curious about. Is there one maybe negative stereotype that either you've experienced or, is just kind of prevalent when people talk about women in sports, whether it's um, on like the the field or athletic side of things or the business side of things that that you feel couldn't be more incorrect um, and is something that maybe if we can all put that stereotype aside, we can take mm-hmm. yet another great step to kind of making the sports business much more representative of, the fan base of the country and of the people who have the skills to succeed with within the business.
2: Um, yeah. I say like something that I've heard from a handful of um, like season ticket holders, I have not hold, like heard it from anyone. I, I think most people who know me would be a little intimidated to say something like this to me. Um, but like, I've heard that I'm working in sports to meet men. Mm or to like become or like to date an athlete and I'm like I I never see the athletes I don't get to watch the games I'm sitting here selling tickets to you like ungrateful people you know Like, like I love my job but it's not as glamorous as everyone assumes you know and you know like that's just it's just straight up not true you know like Like, why would I want to date someone I work with? Like, that's exhausting. (laughs) Like, I'd have to see them so much. (laughs) I don't know. I just think that's such a silly thing to assume that someone would go out of their way to get a job, be harassed for it, and then be like, oh, you just want to meet men. I'm like, no. (laughs)
0: I'm I'm really glad that you brought that one up because... I think it's almost so prevalent that it slipped my mind as one of the answers that you might give. And then you said it and I was literally like, holy shit. Like I've heard that about almost every single woman that's ever worked in sports. Somebody somewhere has had the comment of, oh, they're just doing it for X, Y, Z or they're just succeeding because of X, Y, Z. It, it's it's unbelievable. It couldn't be farther from the truth. So I'm, I'm very glad you brought that up. Well, Chloe, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, especially I know that these are all big complex topics that not none of us really have full answers to but but really appreciated getting your insight um and learning about how from your perspective we all can kind of make this a better industry for for women and and even you spoke a little bit too about people of color and different minorities um i'd like for you to be able to go ahead and if you want to like plug your your instagram or twitter where people can find you more hey we're all about putting people on so if if you want to plug yourself please please go ahead
2: yeah sure why not um i talk about sports all the freaking time i talk about you know women in sports all the time um so it, it's at clo so don't e underscore call again on both you know twitter and instagram i'll follow you back i love meeting other people in the sports industry i think it's great, especially women you need a, you need a woman with you to go through the sports industry for sure
0: and i've seen the the women in sports twitter is it seems like over even just in the past like month or so blowing up like that community Mm -hmm. is growing and you talk about the sports industry being a small industry and it is you you can get jobs from people that you know on twitter and you have that community of support so i i think that that's awesome that that you use that platform for yourself to do that it's it's really Mm -hmm. cool and i know uh the 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 pod follows you i think i know i do i think i know producer kennedy does um and love kennedy (laughs) (laughs) you've always got a friend in us so as as you go through this journey um if you need any advice on or off air or you want to just talk through stuff we're always here for you appreciate appreciate you coming on the show and and kind of sharing your thoughts and your different experiences really really happy to have had you
2: yeah thank you you know thanks for giving me like a platform letting me talk about you know, being a woman in sport, and things that I'm sure a lot of people don't think about
0: all right. And we are back. Really enjoyed my conversation with Chloe. um really thought that that I asked her a lot of kind of complex and tough questions. and And for somebody who's just getting into the sports industry and and still an undergrad, I thought that she had a lot of great answers and a lot of great insights. Really enjoyed being able to speak with her and get her. Some would
1: call Ian Burley the Chris Wallace of uh, the sports interview <laughs> world. So watch yourself. Oh,
0: goodness. goodness gracious. But really enjoyed uh, getting her perspective and appreciate her uh, joining us uh, for the show. So one of the last things that Chloe and I talked about were kind of calling out some of these uh Great first steps we've made in in kind of propping up women in sports and making the sports world more inclusive and and diverse. We spoke about um, the Los Angeles NWSL team and their just star-studded ownership group, which includes Serena Williams's two-year-old daughter. A flex that I'm not sure you and I will ever be able to um, compare to. You know, we've got too many gray hairs to be able to uh, start to flex that hard already.
1: I'm just trying to find any hairs on my head.
0: (laughs) I'd rather have a gray one than, than no hair at all. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you do. You're, you're definitely winning.
0: We'll see. I'm holding on for dear life here. Um, But, but it brings us to a great kind of transition to just talk about baseball is, is playing. I I don't want to say baseball is back, but I I mean, I guess it's playing baseball is, is a place where we saw a great first for women in sports over the past week. Alyssa Knacken, Um, became the first female base coach in a major league baseball game for the san francisco giants so colin just wanted to get your thoughts kind of on how these first few days of the major league baseball season have gone and and what you think this 60 game sprint of a season is going to look like and and what some of its implications may be going forward so
1: first and foremost i guess i'm glad i'm i'm not guess i am glad like baseball's back i love baseball so it's great to see my Astros out there kicking ass again. Um, and there's, and, but I hate, absolutely hate despise. And I thought we talked about it earlier how we didn't like it to begin in other sports. And in baseball, I think it's even worse, um, is the piped in crowd noise. Um, it's, it's just, I can't stand it. I, and I'm almost like you said, what last week, two weeks ago, um, I'm almost the game point of watching games on mute. Uh, it's it's ruining my entire experience because that there's such cognitive dissonance when I can literally look and there's the seats are empty and I'm hearing crowd noise. It, it, it messes with my mind and I, I'm I'm against it beyond belief. Um, the other thing that I am. Want to t- touch on is just the sixty-game stretch, and and we kind of talked about it earlier, comparing it to the Texas Collegiate League that I'm in now, which is only a thirty-game season. Um, it, Sixty, I agree, is is it, it's short, I and mean, everybody knows it's short. But it's that whole shortened season concept, um, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, how teams separate out over the course of 60 games. And if we truly can tell who the playoff teams are, um, and I think it'll change the way you play the game of baseball. Like I think on a 60 game season, you might have to bump up the amount of pitching arms you have uh, just to kind of churn through them faster, or you got to get guys who can go longer. Uh, I mean, there's not going to be, you know, the same, you're not playing the same game. Uh, You're kind of sprinting through to the finish, which baseball has never been a sprint. And the other end of that is statistics. How are we measuring, you know, if somebody hits 40 or 20 bombs this year, I mean, that's a record number if they played 162. And I'm not, you know, if you're on pace guy, if you hit 20 bombs now in this 60 game season, that's 60 over almost 60 60 home runs on a normal season. And right. you know, which is Mark almost Mark Maguire numbers.
0: Yeah, you bring up a lot of a lot of good points to kind of parse through. First, what what do you think is the bigger faux pas having piped in crowd noise or <laughs> the route and the decision Fox has made for on their broadcast to for certain uh camera angles showing digitally inserted fans <laughs> in the stands?
1: I, I'm playing MLB The Show. Fox has turned it into MLB The Show. Like literally turned it – Cause, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was Fox. Maybe it was the other network. But I believe Fox is the one who sh- it literally stole the audio clippings from MLB The Show to use as like the background chatter for, for the games.
0: Yeah, I believe they're the ones that are doing that. Um, man, I wish I could confirm that for sure, but I believe that they were the ones who talked about it. I mean, I hate both of it. And then you, you add on top of this issue that for the digitally induced fans, they can only do it from like certain camera angles. So they'll be panned out, like showing the whole stadium before, like in between pitches. And so you see all these digitally induced fans and they have them do all this crazy stuff it's like oh well the person who's doing this is probably having a great time because they're just getting the fuck around basically and and do whatever they want with these digital fans but then they go to like the angle from behind the pitcher for the pitch and they don't have fans overlaid in so we're going back and forth between oh sometimes we see fans and then we go to another camera angle and there's just empty bleacher seats so it's like what what are we doing if you're going to do it you got to do it the whole way. I would think. I don't think you should do it at all. But if you are going to, I mean, what are we doing? Yeah, the and the sixty game season. I mean, I I am curious to see if they try and find like a middle ground, or I mean, I don't know. I'll throw one twenty out there because it's right. kind of in the middle of of sixty and and one sixty two. The thing that I am curious about why they would maybe think about shortening the season in terms of number of games is that they could make their season of play kind of be the only thing on television. Because right now they start in March, late March. And for the first fucking half of the season, outside of baseball purists, nobody cares because they're watching the NBA finals, the NHL finals. People start tuning into baseball around the All-Star break. Yeah, once everything else is done, and then you even struggle a little bit going into the playoffs in the World Series because now the NFL is starting, now college football is starting. Um, So you're, I mean, once you get to the World Series, a lot of people are going to watch the World Series outside of just baseball purists. But I would even say that during the first rounds of the playoffs and, and the divisional series, you're still probably just banking on mostly baseball purists to watch because somebody else could go watch an NFL game or a Thursday night match game or not watch sports at all. So there's a lot of things at play that I think this 60 game season will potentially bring into the conversation. A lot of former and current players though, say that you do need the 162 games. Baseball is a marathon. It's the dog days of summer because it's, that's just part of what it is, right? So it's what, what wins out? Does the tradition win out? Does the opportunity to maybe have more revenue win out? I don't know.
1: And, and I, you you touched on the thing that I think is going to prevent baseball from making this transition to a shortened season is that lost revenue. If you just – and I think 120 or 100 even, somewhere in between 100 and 120, I think is the, the sweet spot, if you will. But that's giving away 30 – 20 to 30 home games each year for an owner. And if you're the New York Yankees, 20 to 30 home games each year, I mean, that's a large chunk of change. You're asking them to just say, hey, we're good. No, thanks. Uh, we're going to just take it easy on everybody. Um, you know, I think you could try and find ways to make up that revenue with TV contracts in your World Series and the playoffs and really blowing those out of the water. Uh, but, you know, those are that's, I think, your ultimate hindrance um, to this shortened season. It's not, you know, are we per- – Preserving the sanctity of baseball, because I think it, the evidence is there that 120 games is all you really need. 100 games even is all you really need, and it's just that we're back to the back to the scratch. Is is what we is really what's making all the the decisions here.
0: The Almighty Dollar. What have you thought of the actual play on the diamond these first few games?
1: I'll tell you right now. I I will come with my hat in hand and say I was wrong uh I really thought pitching would be atrocious uh coming into this and 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 we were going to see just high scoring just moonshots all over the place and I, I have been amazed as uh, the word uh, how good the pitching has been um across the league not just you know I mean, you had Herman Marquez come out and almost no-no the Texas Rangers. Um, You know, both Astros, Verlander, and McCullers came out, pitched gems. Uh, Even the Seattle Mariners, two starters, uh, Taiwan Walker, and I'm blanking on the first one, uh, came out and pitched extremely well. Thank you. Marco Gonzalez uh, came out and pitched uh, very well. I mean, for five innings and then, you know, the wheels came off the wagon, but th- that's nonetheless, I mean, I, the pitching has been way better than I thought it would be. And I will stand by this statement to the day I die. Um, standing up in a batter's box and trying to hit a, a ball that's moving at 90 miles an hour is one of the hardest things to do in sports period. Um, that's the tweet. Um, but Ian, this is the play topic of our show, and I want to I want to throw something out to you since we kind of were talking about the broadcast. Um, I will admit I've only watched about four games so far, uh, and the, as of Sunday, people. So I know y'all are going to hear this on Monday. So I'll probably I'm definitely going to catch at least two more today. Um, but the thing I'm seeing on the broadcast that I am loving, absolutely loving. And, and I think it ties it ties in beautifully to that whole you so-you-want-to-work-in-sports notion uh, that we had last time is the mascots sitting down in the empty s- stands, and it's just the mascot, like, trying to get the team fired up. And you know how hard it has to be for that mascot to put that hot, sweaty suit on and <laughs> go go out in front of nobody and try and get them fired up and like take pick and do all the things that you've trained for your entire life and it's all gone like there's nothing there i think uh shout out mascots i see you you're doing a great job keep it up
0: yeah i was not expecting to see mascots i think i kind of assumed like man teams might teams might furlough or or cut those people because there's gonna be no fans in the stands like they could do all the promo i I mean i don't know i don't know what i expected but then yeah they've they've done a great job of the mascots kind of continuing to play their characters even as they kind of look around and it's like that john travolta uh pulp fiction gif where he like looks around the room and nobody's there (laughs) so it's uh it's been it's been enjoyable to watch what, I just want to touch on it briefly because it just popped in my mind and it pisses me off. I would never quite realize how bad Major League Baseball's blackout policy is, but it's oh fucking my atrocious. It
1: is, it is literally the worst. And, and we t- Pat Zajak was on the show. He and I had a good uh, back and forth about this a while ago. It's horrible. It is absolutely horrible. But anyway, continue your point.
0: Yeah, It. what really showed me it is, so I'm living in Chicago right now. And, uh, I don't have like a cable package, but thanks to my parents, I log in with, with our, uh, Michigan logins. And so I can get ESPN and Fox sports and all this type of stuff. Right. So on Friday night, I believe the cubbies were playing the, uh, national nationally televised ESPN game. Right. And and they're playing at Wrigley field. So I'm like, great. They're the national TV game. I throw on my ESPN app. It says uh, Cubs game blacked out because they're only uh, broadcasting it regionally on the regional sports network. So I'm like, well, okay. so if you don't have a cable package that includes the marquee sports network, which is like a pretty small regional sports network, you're completely fucked to watch this game, let alone you can't actually go to the game. So your only chance to watch it is on TV and they're blacking people out in the city of Chicago from watching Cubs games. Another interesting one came from one of my buddies. His name's Trey. He's a Yankees fan. He lives in Michigan. So he buys the MLB League Pass. I don't even MLB know what TV. it's
1: called. Uh, yep, ML- MLB TV. And I'll give you my MLB TV story shortly. Go ahead.
0: So he is a Yankees fan, and he pays for MLB TV to be able to watch the games. Then it's, it's a similar uh, double, double whammy where the... He doesn't have cable either because a lot of people are are not paying for cable anymore, traditional cable. The Yankees were playing also playing on ESPN. So they're blacked out from MLB TV. So he can't watch it because people are like, oh, well, these people have ESPN. They can watch it on ESPN. Well, what if you don't have ESPN? Then this MLB TV that you're paying like 120 bucks for to be able to watch your out-of-market team, you can't even watch the game. So you're just completely fucked.
1: Well, here, and I'll I'll double up on you here. I, as you, as many of you should know, and the, based on the number of you who texted me last week, you probably do know I am an Astros fan, diehard, um, and I do pay for MLB TV year in year out. Pay for MLB TV. Um, and when I was in Eugene, Oregon, uh, the Astros play in the AL West, um, it, which has both the Seattle Mariners and the Oakland Athletics in it. Um, in Eugene, Oregon, you are blacked out from. The Seattle Mariners, the San Francisco Giants, and the Oakland A's, all three are blacked out in Eugene, which I have called every single Eugene TV provider, and not one of them has the Oakland A's local TV network. You can't get it. You literally can't get it. So I, there's, it's impossible for me to watch the Astros when they play the A's in Eugene. It physically cannot happen. And and it, it's infuriating. And then you come here to Amarillo and both the Rangers and the Astros are blacked out. And the only local TV network you can get here is the Rangers. And so it's like, I, you, how? I don't understand why I'm getting, I'm literally 11 hours away from Houston. And I get, I get the Rangers. I understand that. That's fine. But I'm 11 hours away from Houston. It is impossible for me to get at local Houston television here. And you black me out from watching the Astros at all? Like, that's ridiculous.
0: And and here's what it leads to at least me doing. I pull up my web browser from my Xbox or on my computer. I head over to a beautiful thing called Reddit MLB Streams. And I stream those motherfuckers. So if the MLB doesn't want to let us watch and capture us for data and capture us as eyeballs for sponsors, then I'm going to stream it. And you're not going to know that I'm out there, but I'm watching it. So you're getting fucked.
1: Yeah, it's just and it's 2020 and there's no fans in the building like this is when you should fix this like this is now fix it
0: yeah the blackouts i think are a little ridiculous even in a, a normal world and now when you add on oh yeah we can't even have fans in the stands it's it makes a lot it makes no sense at all
1: which which let's talk about let's talk about that what is the whole point of the blackout like the whole point of the blackout is to make people go to the game and then fill to make them watch your local networks instead Right, like that's the whole point. You're you're for pushing, forcing them to a certain location to watch it. Which one of those two locations that you're trying to force them is been taken away in its entirety. Like you can't force them to the stadium anymore.
0: <laughs> and and that's probably the thing that you're wanting to force them to do the most. So it, right. it's just, it's unbelievable, ridiculous. Now this was a, you you lended yourself to a good transition here. You spoke about. You know, you're an Astros fan. You're getting a lot of calls and, and texts for one reason or another. Uh, how about you uh, kick us off here with your fire breather of the week?
1: Okay. this uh, Here we go. And, uh, <laughs> Take a deep up, breath, folks.
0: ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> this one's going to get heated. Um, what day was it? My days are blurring really bad. But before opening day, okay, which opening day was – the 24th, which was two days ago. So back it up two more days. 22nd. Um, on, Jul- on July 22nd, I'm working a baseball game. The Astros are playing an inter-squad scrimmage against the Kansas City Royals. It is the first time the Astros are playing baseball competitively against another team this year. Sorry, I guess since they canceled spring training. And I'm, I'm casually watching it you know, just whatever, just it's, I'm, um, it's on, I know it, a uh, legal stream, whatever, watching it, because it's blacked out in Amarillo, uh, but about mm, sixth inning, my phone is blowing up, yeah, I, I mean, ping, 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 like texts, DMs, DMs from people I have not even talked to in years, or like I'm sliding into my Twitter DMs, Uh, my Instagram, I'm getting all kinds of DMS there. I got at least seven text messages all in like a 10 minute span. And I'm like, you know, one eye on the game. I'm like, what the hell, what happened? You know? Well, Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman were beamed on back to back at bats in the Astros games, in the Astros game and people are saying, oh, karma, oh, they deserve it, oh, I hope baseball gets them for all of this, oh, blah, blah, blah. Now, I want to paint a picture for all you morons who think that that was intentional and that that was for trash can banging because look at the situation in which those two guys were beamed on back-to-back pitches. One, the bases were loaded. The bases were loaded both times, and they were both pitches were hit with, by a breaking ball. It was a slider both times that ran inside and caught him in the back. Okay. Now I'm not unwritten rule. I'm not team unwritten rules. I'm definitely team backflip, but if you are going to bean somebody intentionally, you're not going to do it with the bases loaded in a scrimmage and on a breaking ball you're going to throw your hardest stuff right in his back like you're literally going to make him know it hurts not just this rinky dink slider coming in at 85 miles an hour no and so my whole point is i don't want to hear every time an astros player gets hit by a pitch i don't want to hear it Okay, I don't care. It it only bring it if they throw them at the dome and it's an over 95. That's when you're allowed to text me. If they hit them in the head and it's over 95, text me. Then you can slide in my DMs. Otherwise, shut up because I'm keeping receipts. I'm keeping receipts. I'm keeping receipts at the end of this year. I'm willing to bet the Astros aren't even the team that's hit by pitch the most. Write it down.
0: That'd be an interesting uh, prop bet in states where you can actually bet on sports. Illinois, not one of those. Very unfortunate. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I, I do think that guys that are going to intentionally hit Astros players. I think it's going to happen. I think you agreed with that. But I also think, and Kevin Uclus brought this up. He made a great point um, on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week where he said, there's just going to be more hit batters this year than there, there are usually. And he said that the, it's trending up regardless over the past couple of years, because when you think about what makes a good pitcher quote unquote in the eyes of people, now it's who can throw it the hardest, who can spin it the fastest. So when you got guys coming out here, just trying to throw fucking absolute gas, every pitch, a couple are going to get away from them. A breaking ball is going to get away. A slider is going to run inside a curve ball is not going to break. So there's, and especially now in, in this kind of shortened run up to the season and, and everything that's going on, there's going to be more guys that get hit unintentionally, um, so I, I do think we need to take that into account because it'll also make it a little sweeter when guys do get hit intentionally.
1: Uh, yeah, but at least if you're going to play this, you know, play this game, at least know what isn't getting hit intentionally and not. Don't I don't want to see every curveball that hits George Springer in the shin. I don't. That's not <laughs> miss me with that bullshit.
0: I think I think that's fair. I think that that's fair. I'm going to, so I have a crackback of the week this week. so i I want to tell this this story, set the scene, and then I think there's maybe a couple shaking my head moments within the story. So, uh, this has kind of popped up into the sports news just over the past couple of days. Uh, our guy, Lou Williams, was caught outside of the bubble, Not necessarily caught. he He was outside of the the NBA bubble for an excused absence. Um, he was attending a memorial service for the father of a close family friend. Now where things got a little hairy is, uh, I believe it was Thursday or Friday evening. A rapper named Jack Harlow, never actually heard of him, uh, really snitched. He posted a photo on Instagram of himself and Lou at magic city gentlemen's club in Atlanta. God, now, Lou. now, now Jack then said it was an old pick that he just missed his boy Lou Will and he was just reminiscing. But unfortunately, in the picture, Lou Will was wearing his NBA issued mask from the bubble in Orlando. So we got a couple things already going on. One, Jack Carlo, what are you doing, bud? This is just like a D'Angelo Russell filming guys cheating on their girlfriends in the locker room. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Lou Will. Why are you out? At least you're wearing a mask, I suppose. Like, good job. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of taking that as a small win. Now he's at a strip club. Excuse me. A gentleman's club. Why does Lou Will say he's there? He <laughs> said he's there for dinner. And he tweets out, and I quote, and I quote, ask any of my teammates what my favorite restaurant in Atlanta is. Ain't nobody partying. Chill out, L O L. Hashtag mask on. Hashtag in and out. So apparently, Lou will really did <laughs> Wait, just go to Magic City for some out, like chicken tenders.
1: The one we really want to use there.
0: Yeah, that that was a mis misguided judgment for a hashtag about being in a gentleman's club. One, I didn't understand. I can't imagine saying, hmm. I could go for a lot of places for dinner. I'm going to go to the local Magic City and get some chicken tenders. Like, I, <laughs> that seems like it's got to be against some sort of health code somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love Hooters for their hot wings, don't you? Like,
0: <laughs> <sighs> Yikes. So, just a very, very funny story. Like, Lou Will seems to be fine. It's unfortunate that he that he needed to leave for obviously the death of, of a close family friend but this whole magic city only being there to to get to, ha- to have dinner and then you know is his rapper boy posting a pic about it and really outing him not great but this did teach me a little bit about what the nba players and the bubble situation and how it's operating when people have to leave because we've already seen a, a handful of players have to leave zion had to leave um, alex caruso had a decision about whether he wanted to leave or not So basically what happens if an NBA player needs to leave for an excused absence, uh, they get tested every day that they're out of the bubble. When they return, uh, they have a minimum quarantine period of four days, um, which can be extended up to 10 days based on guidance from the NBA's infectious disease specialist panel. And that's based on players activities outside of the bubble. So Lou Will, this picture gets posted just this morning. The NBA decided that he will be quarantined for 10 days, which means he's going to miss their first handful of seeding games. So even that in itself could be a, well, now, now you're going to miss a couple games. M- maybe didn't need to go to Magic City. But if the picture doesn't get posted, does anybody know? Probably not.
1: The chicken tenders. The chicken tenders were worth it
0: they better be fucking fire. Those best be the best chicken tenders or whatever else he had for dinner there. I've read about chicken tenders. I've heard people on Twitter talking about their like fried catfish bites. Um, so I've, I've seen other people kind of come to his, his defense and say, yeah, magic city food. Dope. Still, I, I, I'm having this cognitive dissonance about uh, a gentleman's club being a highly sought after dinner place, but he's not the only I person mean, I feel with like, clout. I
1: feel like, I feel like we need to take a a cutback pod uh, field trip and go actually put this to the test and, and
0: just for research purposes, uh, you know, maybe that would become a a fantasy five best food options at the magic city (laughs) gentlemen's club in Atlanta. Once, once, uh, once coronavirus subsides in, you know, three to four years, we can, uh, we can add that to the pods list, a little pod field trip. (laughs)
1: Well, I think that you brought up food at Magic City. I think that's a great transition into our uh, Fantasy Five, Jan. Uh, so, for those who don't know, Fantasy Five, uh, Ian and I pick a team of five, pick a topic each week, and we each pick a team of five items that fit in that topic, and we pit those two teams against each other, um, and leave it up to you to pick who has the best, uh, best team. So. And we do use the snake system in a draft uh, because we do live in a society and it separates us from the animals. So, uh, Ian, as you kind of half touched on, this week it's opening day, uh, opening day for baseball. So we're doing best ballpark foods um, in the country, the best ballpark food to have. Um, And I will just go ahead and say now as a director of food and beverage at a baseball stadium, um, if I lose this week, I will never live it down. So uh just for my own mental and personal safety uh vote for me this week. Um, I lost last week uh pretty soundly because much like it is hard impossible to beat Serena Williams in tennis, it is impossible to beat her in the fantasy five two um so Ian won last week uh so Ian you've uh you've earned the right. would you like the first pick or would you seed and take the two three?
0: I think I'm gonna take the first pick again this week. And I'm gonna go ahead and take a classic ballpark hot dog.
1: Wow, we're leading off with a ballpark hot dog. See, all right. So I think I think uh, we need to just throw this out there because I'm going a lot different route than Ian. Um, I when I think ballpark food, I think the crazy, the scent, like good food that you can't get everywhere. Um, and I will. So with the number two pick. So I'm going to have to give you like paint a picture for most of you because uh, and but working in the food and beverage industry, I hope I can do that. Uh, so with number two overall pick, uh, I'm going to take a dish that I had at made park in Houston. Um, it, it, they call it the loaded nachos is loaded nachos. Excuse me uh, what it is. It is chorizo onions, Monterey Jack melted cheese and jalapenos. On a bed of nachos uh, and I promise you it was the best nachos I've ever had in my entire life so I'm taking the bases loaded nachos Uh, next with the second my second pick uh, I'm gonna take a classic Eugene Eugene Emerald's dish Uh, Ian knows it well Uh, welcome aboard the fire-breathing Philly Uh, you on the fire-breathing Philly it is like your traditional Philly however we use some ghost pepper cheese some habanero mayonnaise uh, on on the Philly, uh, it is literally the best item in that ballpark. Andrew Brown knows it well. Ian knows it well. Welcome aboard Fire Breathing Philly.
0: Fire Breathing Philly is is pretty good. Um, I assume because you used your bases loaded nachos that that will cover the nachos category as a whole. So with my second and third pick for my team, I'm going to go ahead and take a cheeseburger and sunflower seeds
1: goodness it's not
0: baseball if you don't have any seeds
1: see he took sunflower seeds over peanuts and that's a mistake folks that is a a gigantic mistake uh and he's going to regret it because i'm going to take peanuts uh with with my third overall pick i'm taking peanuts and then because that is the ultimate staple i feel in ballpark food you have to have peanuts you cannot go to a ballpark without peanuts uh, and so peanuts welcome aboard next i'm going to take something that i had at the old texas rangers ballpark uh, at the time it was globe life uh, ballpark it is the the infamous boomstick <laughs> i don't know if you've heard of it it is a two foot long hot Ooh. dog uh covered and smothered and, uh chili, cheese, onions, the whole uh, gambit. For two foot long of a hot dog, I'm taking it. The boomstick. Welcome aboard.
0: That is a lot of dog. But, you know, I mean, any type of, of hot dog is a classic. Throwing some chili and cheese and onions on there. Well, I'm not a big onion fan, but that probably is a, a pretty good seller there for the Rangers. So to round out my team here, hmm. I'm going to go ahead and take popcorn for sure. Just something classic when you've maybe had a, a few extra adult beverages at the ballpark. And then I think I'm going to take some classic chicken fingers, one of the most sought after tunnel meat items at minor league ballparks around the country. Something great to fill you up a little bit, get some dipping sauces. So I'll uh, I'll round my team out with popcorn and chicken fingers.
1: All right, uh yours yours is just so basic. If I lose to this to this, i it it's just it's a it is a with all going on in the country right now, this might be uh, a war crime if I lose this week. Uh, <laughs> so my final pick, um, i'm gonna I'm taking it from Amarillo. Uh, it is it is so good that I took it from Amarillo and I brought it to Peoria with me um and decided that those people needed to be cultured as well uh and it is the footlong corn dog i'm taking the footlong corn dog um it is just like it sounds some good old batter wrapped around corn dog it is life-changing experience life-changing experience so the footlong corn dog uh welcome aboard that's that's going to round out my team and i frankly just don't think it's close this weekend And, and and I'm going to just cry foul if I lose. (laughs) So to round this out, uh, Ian has the hot dog, the cheeseburger, the sunflower seeds, popcorn and chicken fingers on his team. Uh, I have the bases bases loaded nachos, which is uh, chorizo based nachos at Minute Maid Park. The fire breathing Philly, which is uh, ghost pepper cheese, habanero mayo on a Philly cheesesteak. Served very well at PK Park in Eugene, Oregon. Um, got your classic peanuts because I need to have one classic item in there. Uh, I've got the Boomstick from Globe Globe Life Park, and I've got the footlong corn dog, which is proudly served in Dozer Park. And in, uh, and in Hodgetown here in Amarillo.
0: I feel like uh, corn dogs are one of those things where you really only want to have at one of two places, and one of those is a ballpark. The other is probably your local county or state fair.
1: Uh, agreed. And believe me, the Texas State Fair, everything is bigger and better in Texas, and the Texas, even, <laughs> even our coronavirus cases. Uh, <laughs> the Texas State Fair, Facts. the Texas State Fair, uh, <laughs> those corn dogs will get you get you every time we deep fry anything.
0: Well, I am now officially, officially hungry. So before we get on out of here, do you have any sign shout outs to wrap things up this week?
1: I do. I do. Uh, I wanted to give a sign a shout out. Um, and maybe this is going to step on toes, but I really don't care. Um, there's a lot of national anthem police out there and I, and it's just really becoming infuriating. Um, how everybody has an opinion about the national anthem and sport and sports. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the sports industry today Um, and sports. Sports is one of the only places in the world where you have to listen to the national anthem every time you go to work. Like um, and I think, you know, I believe in the right to protest. I believe in all of that stuff, Um, you know. I understand that people are disagreeing with kneeling, whatever. I get it. I don't I don't agree with you, but we move on. Uh, but my sign or shout out is to the uh, – it was the New York Liberty and the Seattle Storm. Uh, they they – I believe it was yesterday uh, in the game they played. Um, they did not – they just left the floor prior to the National Anthem even playing um, and, and just – went to the locker room uh, before it even started. Uh, so don't get all in an uproar that all you National Anthem police, don't get in an uproar that they walked out on the National Anthem. That's not what happened. But I just think if we're having such a uh, – we're very divided as a country right now, and I, the whole National Anthem deal is falls right in line with how divided everybody is. And so I think that was a new way – to just avoid the issue altogether, you send your statement, you make you can make your protesting statement, but you're not, you know, quote unquote, disrespecting the nation in any way or the people who serve the country, whatever. Um, so I just my sign or shout out is applauding them uh, for trying to bring the country together and find a new way that we can keep all these national anthem police happy.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It it actually falls right in line with my seminar shot it as well, and it was ridiculous. Even ESPN and Yahoo, but I was more surprised by ESPN. Both immediately tweeted out that the teams walked off during the national anthem. So then, of course, the people who don't actually look into things and just read headlines are like, "Oh my God, the the anthem started playing and they walked off the the court." As you mentioned, that is not what happened. They walked off before the anthem. Um, this has been happening in the NFL. They've been telling players for the past couple of years, listen, if you're going to need, just stay in the locker room. So players have been staying in the locker room. It, it, so, but, but you're absolutely right. People are again, taking it, changing the narrative. I'm waiting for the Trump tweet about it. It's, it's probably uh, only a matter of time before that happens, but I want to talk about as my sign our shout out what the WNBA did, uh, before they even did that. And that is both the Liberty and the storm kind of came together Um, on the court before the game and they talked about their dedication specifically towards justice for Breonna Taylor. They held a 26 second uh, moment of silence before the game for her because she uh, is 26 years old. And it again, this is something that we've talked about multiple times um, over the course of of the podcast is that the, the WNBA is not shying away from making their stance known and letting their players voice their opinions um and and to see that on espn yesterday and and have espn televised the speeches made by um brianna stewart and i forget who spoke for the liberty um and to let everybody know that this is why they're doing it i thought was really cool to see so mr munns anything else before we get out of here
1: I, I I just I really am am hoping we can uh, see more sports go long term and I'm really looking forward to baseball so go baseball
0: yeah we're getting into it now base baseball is ramping up basketball is supposed to ramp up this week MLS w, NWSL or are, are wrapping up their tournaments the WNBA is off and running. Uh, we're potentially, we're potentially getting back into things. And, and
1: I want to say, I'm keeping receipts. I'm keeping receipts. All of you who slid in my DMs, all of you, every time a Nationals player gets hit by a pitch, I'm, I'm keeping receipts on all of you. So just let it be known.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Go ahead and uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Cutback Pod. You can listen to us obviously on Spotify. Throw us a follow there at the Cutback. Or you can check out our website, anchor.fm forward slash the cutback. This has been yet another episode of the Cutback Podcast. Until next time, keep your head on a swivel and try not to get laid the fuck out.